Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Do you believe... God is working in your life. I mean, really. I mean, not one of those church answers that we give sometimes. I mean, really on a practical level, do you believe the God of creation is working in your life? As amazing as it sounds, he is. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm, I'm an agnostic. I just came with some friends today. I don't believe in God. Well, he's still working in your life. He knows he exists, so consequently, he works in all of our lives. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in your life. He works, even when you're asleep. But, but here's the challenge. God doesn't work in our lives the way everybody else works. You've got a lot of people who work in your lives, but God works differently. You know, in the 37 years I've had the privilege of pastoring New Spring, in the years I pastored before that, I've had a thought about church that I don't think I've ever talked about very much, but I think about often, and there's a topic that we don't talk about a lot in church, and that is the godness of God. I, I just made that up, that term, but, but I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, those fundamental deep questions about who God is and what God is, you know, for those of us who are Christians, it's like we just sort of assume those, and then we say, well, God this, and God that, and God did this, and God did that, and, and, and that's 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 okay, that's true, but I wonder if we ever get down into those fundamental issues. And a moment ago, I mentioned if you're agnostic, the irony is you may get into those a lot more than we do as Christians. It's not that we're afraid of them. It's just that oftentimes we sort of jump past those. But one of the problems that we have in Christian circles today is that oftentimes Christians sort of get the idea that God is like a bigger version of us. I hear worship songs sometimes, not the ones that we do here at New Spring, but I hear worship songs sometimes that sort of communicate that God is like a, a bigger us, a bigger human being. But I just want us to understand that God does not work the way that other people work in our lives, not like the expert that we call, like the plumber you call when you've got a plumbing problem or the doctor that you go see when you're sick. He doesn't work like that. He doesn't work in your life like your boss at work. Or a friend, not like the government officials who make rules that we all have to follow. God doesn't even work in our lives like a spouse or a family member. These all work in our lives, but they're very different from God, and they work very differently in our lives because they're material. We can see them. We can hear them. We can touch them. And in large part, we understand what they're doing for good or for bad because we're human and they're human. We may like or hate what they do, but for, for the most part, we can at least guess or figure out what they're doing and why they're doing. But God is so very different. On one hand, we can't see God. We can't hear God. We cannot touch God physically. And for that reason, a lot of us tend to discount God's work in our lives because he's not material. So it is true in the, in the essence of academic honesty, we should all be clear that we can't hear God, see God, or touch God. He's not material. And yet there's, there's a weird juxtaposition 
with that, and that is that even though we can't see, touch, or hear God, God works in our lives on a much deeper level than all these other people. The Bible tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our head. The people who love me the most, my, my best friends, they don't know the number of hairs on my head. My sons don't know the number of hairs on my head. The person I love most in the world loves me most. Mary Alice doesn't know the number of hairs on my head. I don't know the number of hairs on my head. Just know it's less than it used to be. But it's not just that. I mean, a few months ago, I did a series here called Song for the Anxious Mind. I've been honest with you through the years. I deal with anxiety, and I've been, I'm certified. I've had an actual diagnosis of an anxiety disorder, so I've got anxiety for real. And I wanted to share with you some of the things that God is teaching me. And we did a series on Psalm 139 called A Song for the Anxious Mind. And what did we learn in that series? We learned that God not only knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows what's going on inside. There's a verse there that says that God knows your thoughts before you think them. In other words, I don't know what I'm going to be thinking five years from now, but God knows every thought that I'm going to have five years from now. He knows every time I sit down or stand up. I don't even remember every time I've sat down and stood up today. And yet God knows every year of my life, how many times I stood up and sat down. And we love this because I know a lot of you still quote this back to me from that series. That, that psalm tells us that God goes into the room before we get there and he stays after we leave. How's that for a meeting that you're worried about tomorrow? Empower? Total power. He can do anything. Like I say, we can't see, feel, or touch him, but he works in our lives in a much deeper way and, and he can do stuff that nobody else can do. I mean, Look at the stories from the Bible of his followers. There was a time when God's people got crimped between a marauding army chasing them and a sea in front of them. No problem. The same God that made the sea cut it in half. There was a furnace one time that was heated up for some guys who went counterculture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to be politically correct. And the king at that time decided he was going to whack them all. And the way he was going to do it, he was going to burn them alive in a furnace. And he was so mad because they wouldn't be politically correct that he said, heat the furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been before. It was so hot that it killed the soldiers that threw them in. And yet after a little while, the king looked into the furnace and said, didn't we throw three men in there? He said, I see four, and that fourth one's different. Hungry crowd, we saw this a few weeks ago. 20,000 people, nothing there but a sack lunch, no problem. Once upon a time, there was a pastor who dreamed of a piece of land that they could never afford in a million years because he dreamed of a great church. No problem, you're sitting there right now. There's a word for this. This strange juxtaposition of a God we can't see, hear, or touch, but who works in our lives on a deeper level. At least there's a word I have for it. It's the word that comes up to my mind is mystery. The more I think about and contemplate the godness of God, the more I have this idea of mystery. There's, there's a mystery to God, and it's spelled out for us in Isaiah 55, 8. And I think about this verse almost every day of my life because God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine mystery. What that tells me is that when God does work in my life, often I'm not going to understand it. 
because I'm playing checkers and God's playing 3D chess. There's a curtain there, and that curtain is mystery. I will admit, sometimes that curtain gets very thin. And heaven and earth get very close, and that's what we call a miracle. And I have seen God do miracles. Don't be honest about this. I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic. Faith comes hard for me. But I've seen a lot of scenarios in my life where God did something, and I know God did it because there's no other explanation for it, and I could keep you here the rest of the day telling you stories about miracles. Sometimes that curtain gets very thin between heaven and earth, but do we understand, New Spring, that God is just as much at work in our lives every day as much as the day when heaven kisses earth and we experience a miracle? Let's go back 2,000 years and meet our heroes and put yourself in the picture. Now, that won't be easy because you and I know them too well by now. And we know, we know what happened in their lives. We know why they're important, but at this point, they don't know. This is strange. I'm going to do something really peculiar for a sermon. These days, seminaries will invite me in to teach homiletics to their pastoral theology majors. Homiletics is a science of preaching. And I've been at New Spring for so long, I came here as the boy preacher, now I'm the elder statesman. But I'm about to do something that breaks every single rule of homiletics. I'm going to bring you to a decision point right now in the middle of the sermon. Because ordinarily, those, the, end, the decision points are safe for the end of the sermon. I bring the message, and then we have a decision to make. Well, the, the deal with this particular message is you have a decision to make right now. And you can decide which direction you want to go. And I've got to be honest, one of those directions is a deal breaker. So that's why we're looking at this decision point in the middle of the message. And here it is. If God is working in your life, and he is, you and I have to decide this. Do I want to work with him or do I want to work against him? Got to be honest. This message is for people who want to work with God. You say, Mark, you you mean me here in Wichita or Andover, Bel Air, Kansas? You're saying God wants to work with me? Yeah. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are God's fellow workers. That's the thing about God. There's so much about the mystery of God that I understand, but for some reason, he wants to work with us. And so you and I have a decision to make before we go any further in this message. Do we want to work with God? Okay, we're going to go back in time and meet our heroes, and you're going to put yourself in the picture. 2,000 years ago, God was looking for a couple. 4,000 years before, he had promised that there would be a woman, a virgin, who would have a baby that would be God and human at the same time, a savior, and he needs a woman, a very special woman. He needed a virgin who would have a baby, and he needs a man, and no ordinary man. Men, God needs a man who'll do two things that are really hard for a man. First of all, he needs a man who will understand. I mean, I don't, can I get a witness on this, guys? A lot of times your wife's trying to communicate something is really important and it goes right over here because we struggle to understand. God needs a man who will get it, who will understand. And he needs a man who will check his ego at the door. 
And I'm a man, and I know how, to, how hard those two things are. There's a reason why we use the term male ego. Well, God's got to have a special man. He's got to have a man who will, who will take care of a child, but it won't be his child. And he's going to have to understand. Like I said, God is looking for a couple, and when he finds them, he's going to work with them to do the most extraordinary thing that two human beings were ever worked with by God to do. But for God to work with them, they're going to need three qualifications. And I've, I've challenged us to put ourselves in the picture. And you're, you and I are going to need these three qualifications too. And this is, I've brought this message several times this weekend. And every time I bring this message, I realize it's not really three qualifications. It's one qualification, but maybe three sides to it. So let's go with number one. This couple is going to have to see themselves through God's eyes. <laughs> Let me ask you one of the most sensitive questions that you've ever been asked in church, and please, you don't have to respond in any fashion. I wouldn't if I were you. It's just that personal. Are you insecure? I'm guessing that the statistic on insecurity is right around 100%. I remember back in 1993, I preached a series on insecurity that lasted 26 weeks. That's way too long to talk about insecurity. <laughs> so I won't do anything like that right now, but I want to talk about insecurity for a few moments because I think really all of us as human beings have it, and it can take different forms. <laughs> First of all, and I don't want to find out who's older here right now because a lot of you are young and you, you never will know who I'm talking about, but I would call it the Barney Five Syndrome. <laughs> We're always, like, always trying to impress somebody, and it always backfires. But, but that, that sense of trying to impress people, that's a, that's a manifestation of insecurity. One of our greatest presidents, one of my favorite presidents in American history is a guy by the name of Theodore Roosevelt. He was an extraordinary leader, made great decisions, but he was crazy for real. <laughs> and his daughter, his oldest daughter was Alice Roosevelt Long Longworth. And she said something about her dad that I think about. She said, Papa was always disappointed that he couldn't be the baby at every christening, the bride at every wedding, and the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> well, that's just insecurity. I doubt if most of us have that manifestation, but we can have another one. And that is, from time to time, we sort of hide because the culture makes us feel less than. And we will take a step backward because of that. I'm not, I'm not going to preach 26 weeks on insecurity. I'm, I'm going to give you one sentence definition of insecurity. And here it is. Insecurity comes from measuring ourselves the way the culture measures us. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you've been groomed all your life to be insecure. People say things to us to let us know that we don't quite measure up. I mean, parents sometimes can do this without even intending to. It can happen in school if it gets communicated that you're a little slow in an area. It, siblings. I mean, this world will set you up to be insecure by telling you that you do not measure up, that you come short, that you don't look right, that you weigh too much or weigh too little, or your hair's the wrong color. Or, I mean, this is wrong. And then, of course, we, 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 
we start watching commercials on television, and Madison Avenue plays us like a drum to make us feel like if we buy their product, we won't be less than in a particular area. We are groomed to be insecure. And therein lies the challenge for Christ followers because we deal with it too. And God comes along in our lives and God says, work with me. And you're like, who, me? Well, let's meet our couple. What can we know about our couple? Well, first off, some of you will really identify with this. They're broke. I mean, they are flat broke. How do I know that? Well, I know it because when they go to dedicate baby Jesus at eight days old, the average couple would bring a lamb. But the Bible says if they didn't have the money to bring a lamb, they could bring a couple of birds. And that's what they did. Joseph and Mary are broke. And they live in Nowhereville. They live in this place called Nazareth. It's considered the wrong side of the tracks. And Jews felt that nobody important came from Nazareth. Maybe Jerusalem. And Joseph? He's not a king or a mayor. He's a, a mayor. He's a working man. If you saw Joseph on the street, he'd be dressed in Wrangler's red wing boots and a plaid flannel shirt. <laughs> I've said that for years, and then this week I saw how expensive red wing boots are, and I don't know about that. <laughs> so maybe there'd be a Walmart knockoff, okay? <laughs> Mary, just a nice girl who lives in town. Low expectations. They had low expectations. Everybody in town had low expectations for them. What are they, what's their future? They're broke? Live nowhereville? Working people? Get married? Try to earn a living? Get a little house? Try to raise some kids? Put yourself in the picture. Then boom! God sent the angel to Gabriel to a virgin girl lived in, who lived in Nazareth. She was engaged to marry a man named Joseph from the family of David. Her name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, greetings. The Lord is with you. You are very special to him. The angel said to jo Joseph, son of David. David is the most famous king of all time. Here he is in blue jeans and a flannel shirt and... Walmart knockoff boots. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to accept Mary to be your wife. The baby inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And look at this. You, Joseph, in your Wranglers, you will name him Jesus. Wow. Give him that name because he will save his people from their sins. And the culture said about Joseph, just a working man. Mary, just a girl. But when heaven looked at Joseph, heaven said, son of David. When Mary, just a nice girl in town, but when heaven looked at Mary, heaven said, you're very special to God. I'm talking to somebody here today and you feel like, Mark, all my life I've been pushed down and I've been told I'm no good and I've been told that I'm not important and I'm not beautiful. How do you know that you're not very special to God? And some of those people the world thinks are all that, all that, they may not be very much in heaven. Put yourself in the picture because you are in this picture. Can you see yourself in heaven's terms? 
Are you willing to see yourself the way God sees? Here's the distinction. It is the difference between saying, this is who I am versus this is who I am if God works with me. Whoa. Okay, qualification number two. I got to tell you this before I get there. This is going to be a deal breaker for, unfortunately, some, I'm sure. But here it is. They have to be willing to exchange the world's dreams for them for God's dreams. The culture tells us at all times what our dreams should be for our life. The, the culture says this is who you should be and this is what you should want. And if, you don't, and if you don't believe in that, just check out Facebook. Because a lot of people, when they post, it's sort of like, see, I'm living the dream. We all feel that pressure. I do. But God is looking for people who will go counterculture, and they will be willing to trade dreams. They're like, God, this is either my dream or the dreams that people have had for me. But you know what, God? I am willing to trade what's behind door number one for what's behind door number two. I'm willing to trade the world's dreams for me for your dreams. Where do we find Mary and Joseph? Well, we find them living the small dream on a small scale. Going to get married try to raise a family, but God comes along and God says, are you willing to trade your dream for mine? Mary, <laughs> it's going to mean you're going to get pregnant and there's not a human father and I'm not going to ride it in the sky with an airplane and I'm not even going to tell Joseph for a while, are you willing to trade your dream for my dream? Joseph, it's going to be tough. Are you willing to trade your dream for mine? They could have said no, no way. And some of us would and do. We're in that picture, you know. But look at Mary. I mean, Mary was asking the bio biology question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. What's Mary's response? I am the Lord's servant. I will trade my dream for your dreams. May it be to me as you've said. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he didn't have sex with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. How about it? Put yourself in the picture. What if God comes to you in December of 2021 in Kansas, and God asks, are you willing to trade your dreams for mine? Well, that brings me to the third and final qualification, and the third one is going to take Qualification number two, and turn it from theoretical to practical. They now are going to have to simplify their lives down to just obeying God. If you've been with me in this message up till now, you know that a great adjective uh, to describe Mary and Joseph would be simple. Simple. They're simple people. <laughs> but there's something that the elites of our world will probably never get. Simple doesn't mean dumb. In fact, simple is often brilliant. We Kansans know about this. The elites on the coast call us, what is it they call us? Flyover country? <laughs> I, I, said I, wasn't gonna, I said this last night, I said I wasn't going to say it again, but here I'm going to catch myself doing this. I speak all over the country. 
I'm going to be honest with you. I have to slow it down on the cuss. <laughs> this is a fact before God. I, I, I talk fast because you Midwesterners are quick. You pick things up real fast. And I have to remember that when I go other places to speak. They call us flyover country. And they mock farmers. You know any farmers? I mean, we live in a city here, but we're, we're, we live in a state that's got an agrarian culture. You know any farmers? You know how smart they have to be? And they, they have to know zoology, biology, economics, mechanical engineering, investment strategies, project management, technology. Just for starters. And every farmer knows what ivory tower elites will never understand. What they do has to actually work. <laughs> what they do has to actually work or there won't be a next season. When stuff has to work, that tends to simplify things. I remember when I was in college, and I had professors that I loved, but they pretty well spent their lives in ivory towers. And you know what they did didn't have to work. I appreciate that, unless they were in the sciences. Of course, that's a little different. We live in a world of experts who have been educated to the point of confusion. They're basically able to accomplish nothing worthwhile and who worship their confusion and call it sophistication. Good morning, America. How are you? <laughs> you know, when I put myself in the picture, I think Mary and Joseph were two of the most brilliant people who ever lived because they simplified life down to just obeying God. They saw themselves as God saw them. They were willing to trade their dreams for God's, and they just did what God told them. God said to Joseph, take Mary to be your wife. He did. Call him Jesus, called him Jesus. The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod's going to try to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. He said, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. You see what I mean? They simplified life down to just obeying God. Because, you know, a lot of times when God works in our life, we don't necessarily know the outcome. It's just a matter of putting one foot in front of the other and doing what he asks us to do. Some of you still hung up on that second one, that trading dreams. You're like, Mark, I just, I, I'm dreaming of doing this, and I've been told by the culture to follow my dreams. I just don't think I could trade my dreams. Fair enough. I love my job. You guys are the most wonderful people to pastor. And there are times when I, could, I wish I could just take you with me to experiences I have. I don't know what happens, but somewhere between Andover, where I live, and the church, especially when I get on K96, it's like, and I don't want to freak anybody out. It's not like a louder thing. It's like the Holy Spirit said, tell them this. I didn't have it last night for the last night services. 
But I was in K96. It's almost at the same point. It's, it's like one, right at K96 and 127. It's like, Holy Spirit says, tell them this. So I'm, what, what was number three? Just obey God? <laughs> I was thinking to myself, what, what did Mary and Joseph get for trading dreams? You know what Mary means? The name Mary means bitter. Some of you who are Bible students, you know that back in the Old Testament book of Ruth, there was a lady named Naomi. Her name means beautiful. And life fell apart for her. And it was so rough on her that when she came back into town, haggard and broken, she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mary, Mara, bitter. I don't know why her mother named her Mary. Why would you name a child bitter? Maybe the family that Mary came from was just having hard times. Maybe it was a hard pregnancy. I don't know, but when Mary's mother had that little baby, she said, I'm going to call her bitter. Some of you were in a church at one time that celebrated what's called the Magnificat. The Magnificat is a song that Mary sang to praise God. And this is what the Holy Spirit whispered to me as I was driving today. Mary said, from now on, everyone is going to call me blessed. In Mary's world, her name just changed from bitter to blessed. And that's what God does. He comes along to you, and I'm not pointing to you as a crowd. I'm pointing to you as a person, wherever you are in this building or North Auditorium or watching online and watching on television. He comes to you and he says, I want to work with you. I want to work. The God of creation wants to work with you. And you have to decide, do you want to work with God? And if you're willing to see yourself as God sees you and trade your dreams for his and simplify life down to obeying God, you have no idea what you could become. You could change the world. And whenever Jesus comes or your life is over, hopefully a long time from now, you can say, I lived a life worth living. I really lived the dream. But in overtime, thank you for staying with me. I just need a few more seconds if I could. That journey begins when you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life because this whole story is about a baby that came into the world. And God sent this baby in, God and human at the same time. And he lived the life that you can't live. See, the problem with religion, religion says jump through these hoops and maybe you'll be accepted. Nobody can do that. Religion is just a man-made nomenclature. Try to classify thoughts about God. This book is a schematic. It's a plan. God has a plan for you to get to know him. For him, what you do is you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. And the God who knows the number of hairs on your head and your thoughts moves into your life through Jesus Christ. And here's what you have to do. It's not joining a church. It's not trying to live a better life than somebody else. It's a gift. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And since the Bible says calls, I take it to mean it's a prayer. 
So here's what I'm going to do. If you're interested in having Jesus come into your life, forgive you, for God to adopt you as, your, as his daughter or son, and for him to come into your life and begin to work like only he can work, it's a simple ask. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These are not magic words. God's listening for what's in your heart, not just the words, but he's listening for your heart. But I'm going to pray this prayer slowly, line by line, and I'll pause so you can decide if you want to say that line to God. And again, these aren't magic words. You can say your own words if you wish, but I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then we'll be out of here. Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Please forgive me. Adopt me into your family. Go to work in my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few seconds more. If you just pray with me anywhere on this campus, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a box that's got a Bible just like the one you saw me hold. A book I wrote that'll answer a lot of questions. I also have ADD to tell you that. I write real small books. And then a journal and some coupons in here. We just want to, no, no agenda. No agenda other than to bless you. We just want to take your first steps in following Jesus. So look at the color on the outside of the box. When you walk out, there are info centers all around the campus. If you want this, if you just pray with me, all you got to do is text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. They'll be ready for you. They won't hassle you by They just want to give you this. If you don't have your phone, just go back and say, I pray with Mark. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.